Today we're going to be in Acts. We're going to be in Acts uh, 19. And while I was gone, Brad preached on Acts 20. So we're going to be in Acts 21 next time we get together. So, you know, if, if you know about Acts, there's only, only uh, eight chapters left in the book, which is wild. But we're going to be in Acts 19. And as we turn there, I wanted to share with you an idea that uh, I may have shared with you before, but it's something that was trans- given to me when I was in college, uh, probably, goodness, 16 years ago? 16 years ago, okay. <laughs> I feel my age now. I'm not that old, but kind of older than I was. Uh, but in college, the professor was talking about worldviews and how in, in different parts of the world, there's a much more robust uh, worldview about the unseen realm of life. You know, there's more belief in, in spirits and the spiritual world. Uh, but in the United States and in, West, in Western culture, uh, that, that's pretty much suspended, and people don't really think about the unseen realm very much. Everything is pretty much what you see is what you get, and there's no, nothing further happening behind the scenes. But we know from the, from the Bible and many of us know from our personal experience, there is indeed stuff happening behind the scenes. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and authorities uh, in the heavenly realms. And so Paul had a very robust view of this. The places where Paul ministered, especially in, in, in Ephesus, which is what we're reading about today, were places where the spiritual realm was not invisible, but everyone understood there was stuff going on, and there was power in the spiritual realm, whether for good or for bad. People had that understanding. And uh, my professor in college talked about how, you know, in our culture here, United States, New York, where we're at, uh, we we have a belief in the natural, and we have a belief in the spiritual, but we don't really see an intersection of those two things in our everyday lives. We don't view... uh, the unseen realm as being as real as we view other things. And the Bible really challenges that paradigm. It really does, because there's not... The Bible has a very holistic perspective on the natural and the spiritual. Something is not, not, not unspiritual because it's natural, and it doesn't... Uh, and, and it's affected by the, super, by the, by the spiritual uh, in the natural. So everything's interrelated uh, from the Bible's point of view, and you really have to read it from that perspective. Otherwise, you'll miss it. And uh, if, as we look in, in Acts 19, we're going to read from Acts 19.8 through the end of the chapter. And just notice uh, this intersection of the natural and the spiritual, uh, which ends up in the, in the supernatural or that which is um, unseen and, and the unseen breaking into the, what is seen. So in Acts 19.8, it says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, who went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. 
they would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. This is not good when that happens, probably. You know. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So these, uh, these sons, this is a magic society. If Ephesus was a magical place, they, 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 they had uh, what was called the, the Ephesian letters, which were magic spells that people would wear around their necks. There was idolatry, massive worship uh, and, and cults. There, there was uh, Diana worship, uh, which, which we'll read about, Artemis worship, same, same, same God. This massive temple with like 41 pillars. And each of those pillars was donated by a king. So basically, in this society, there was a strong spiritual power happening and magic happening. And even the earthly kings were paying to have pillars put into her temple so that she, this benevolent evil spirit, would bless them. This is crazy stuff. Uh, very, very strong. And these sons of Sceva that we read about here, I just have to say, there was no high priest uh, technically uh, by this name, Sceva, but this was a this was someone that people who was Jewish, but probably mixed in magical elements with their Judaism, and they went around trying to do miracles. They were magicians. They were doing, trying to do miracles and things, uh, just using whatever power they could to achieve their own ends, which is the definition of magic, right? Uh, and these sons of Sceva said, oh, look, a new magic trick. This guy, Paul, is using the name of Jesus, and it's very effective, and we want to add that to our repertoire. They were not followers of Jesus. They weren't really even full, Jew, full conservative, you know, monotheistic Jews. They were charlatans. And they learned the hard way that the, the authority did not come from Paul. It came from Jesus. And Paul only was able to exercise that authority because Paul was in submission to the king, Jesus. And, and, uh, and he was accomplishing Jesus' ends, not his own. Accomplishing God's will, not his own. Uh, so these guys, they got the snot beat out of them unfortunately for them. So in verse 17, when this, uh, this, ex this thing happened with the sons of Sceva, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor in a society where there was lots of things that were honored above Jesus before this time. This elevated Jesus to, wow, he's, he seems to have authority over much of what we have been relying on. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. I, I, guess, I guess that is like $4 million. They did a whole big math equation in one of the commentaries I read, did equivalencies and things. $4 million worth of stuff. Uh, an unbelievable uh, sacrifice that they made to God. Uh, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way, which is what Christians were called at this time. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, 
who's another name for Diana. Remember this God with the temple and the pillars and all this stuff? Um, he made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And he called all the craftsmen together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. There was just something about this Artemis worship that was very powerful. You have to understand, you don't get a giant temple and kings to worship you and everyone. I mean, this was like the most worshipped false god in this culture at this time. It was a huge, huge deal. Um, this is a big deal. In verse 28, when they heard this, the craftsmen were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Arist Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Happens all the time. <laughs> the Jews in the Do you guys know why you're here? Good, okay. That was weak, but I hope you know why you're here. Hopefully to worship God and stuff. Uh, the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Can you imagine this scene? Huge mob of people. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open. There are proconsuls that can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. And after he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Just like a, a crazy story um, where once again, Paul and his companions are brought before the judge by a, by a mob of people. And the judge says, there's really no basis for a charge here and just let them go, which is miraculous. And Paul really um, got a lot of uh, had a lot of good things happen to him in the courts, actually, when, when riots happened and when Rome got involved. They, Rome wanted peace at all costs, and that was kind of what their whole modus operandi was. So here we have this really supernatural story of, of, uh, of Paul doing amazing miracles that were just the most incredible things that anyone had seen. We have uh, magicians and magic people and people worshiping Artemis, uh, Diana, burning their, their stuff, and then we have the, the economy, the tradesmen, feeling like their business is being threatened. So this is disrupting everything. Jesus coming into the situation is disrupting everything. 
It's funny uh, when a product doesn't match what, uh, what was being advertised. Have you ever had that situation where you look at a product online on Amazon, and it says, you know, from China, from India, or whatever it is, and it comes in the mail, it's not what you hoped it would be. Well, yesterday, this is really funny, me and Jackie were, were looking at, believe it or not, chicken masks on, on Amazon. Do you want to know why? Okay. So, <laughs> I guess I have to tell you. So, uh, I have composed and written several different children's stories about a chicken named Magoo with a whole family of people. And they're anticlimactic stories without a really, uh, they're, they're absurd. They don't really teach you anything. But at the end, the kids have to come up with what's the moral of the story, even though it's a ridiculous story. So we do these at bedtime all the time, and they're really funny. So we thought it'd be funny, since th there's, another, there's another chicken person for every person in our family, so it kind of mirrors our family. And so we thought it'd be funny to get these masks so that when we tell these stories, you know, we could uh, show people. But this is the mask we saw on Amazon yesterday. And then Jackie just started, she lost it. She lost it because there was a review. There it is. <laughs> she was just, she was, I, I haven't seen her laugh that hard since. Cohen fell down in a really funny way one time, but not at all as pictured. <laughs> this mask is very, very different than pictured. It is a quote-unquote chicken mask, so I assumed the feathers uh, would be made of feathers. I was wrong. It's really, really funny, and, and apparently I read, read some other reviews of this thing, and the beak uh, on that thing really stunk, too. I'm not sure what it was made of. But there was a lot of reviews, one-star reviews, two-star reviews. Just a really funny thing. But we can all identify with uh, when you look at something on Amazon or some, somewhere else, and it doesn't match the product that you end up getting, and it's just a ridiculous thing. And sometimes I think we feel like the product that we read in the Bible doesn't match our experience of Christianity. I mean, looking at these miraculous elements, you know, many of us would say, you know, I'd like to see this stuff happen in my life, but I don't see it. So there's, there becomes this disconnect where we read what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches, and then when we look around us, it doesn't really match the product that we, that we have. But challenging this tendency, uh, Dr. Rob Reimer says that when what we read in the Scripture doesn't match up with our own experience, we have two options. Number one, we lower the expectations of Scripture to explain away our impotent experience. You have to choose, by the way. You have to choose one of these. Or we intentionally seek to elevate our experience and our faith to come into alignment with Scripture. This is a very conservative kind of view, saying, you know, the Bible is the truth. It's the Word of God. So if we're not experiencing the things that it's saying that we should be experiencing, and we're not experiencing uh, the kind of power and community and different aspects that we see in the New Testament, we really have to choose. Do we elevate, do, do, do we uh, lower our expectations of the Scripture and explain away the fact that our lives don't look anything like these people? Or do we say, you know what, we need to start working on intentionally elevating our experience in our life to come into alignment with Scripture? It's about expectation. 
Do we expect these kinds of things from God? Or don't we? Uh, this is something that all of us really have to um, look at. So when we look at a story like today, instead of minimizing it and, or saying this was for another time, all this disruption and miracles and the supernatural realm, um, we have to look at this and say, okay, how does this apply to our lives today? What does this look like? How do I seek God in such a way that my life more closely comes into line with some of these things that happened with these apostles and these Christians? And there, I, I think that there's a danger where people will elevate the supernatural elements above just the natural things happening in the story, and then other people will elevate the natural things in the story and minimize the supernatural elements. Now I'm saying it's holistic. We have to have both. So when it talks about them meeting together regularly, regularly in community, in small groups, that should be a huge emphasis for us. And here I hear you like, yeah, of course he says that, because small group science are in the lobby, and he's... But seriously, I'm being honest, you know. When it talks about people sharing their possessions and giving to the poor or providing for other people in the church, that's a serious deal. And when it talks about uh, praying for and expecting miracles, that's also a big deal. Uh, these are all things that we have to kind of look at and say, you know, why not, why not us? Why not a bunch of weird miracles like with the handkerchief and the, and the, uh, the jacket that Paul they used on Paul that they, uh, they touched sick people and they became well. And this is something really interesting that God spoke to me about this passage. That I, I was asking God, what is the thing in this passage? I was struggling with it. What is the thing in this passage that really you want to drive home to, to new life? And what really struck me was this phrase in verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. First of all, if you heard this story, you're like, oh, this happened somewhere else, you'd be skeptical automatically as a Western person. You'd be like, this is too weird. And you might even make fun of a weird miracle like this, because it's a weird miracle. But the thing that God really pointed out to me was this phrase, extraordinary miracles. So apparently there were ordinary miracles happening in the early church. Ordinary miracles. So handkerchiefs and aprons are weird miracles. Maybe ordinary miracles were praying for the sick and having them be healed. Maybe it happened more regularly than it does for us today. And of course, all these things are at God's discretion. God is, God is the one who decides all these things. But they were praying for the sick and seeing people healed. What about the miracle of salvation? Someone turning their will and life over to Jesus Christ. That was happening. Um, there were all kinds of perhaps ordinary miracles happening. And then there were extraordinary miracles. And I, I love extraordinary miracle stories. I'm kind of a, I love to hear about the amazing things that God does. And in fact, I, I was kind of doing a little bit of research um, on my phone on YouTube. Do you guys ever do research on YouTube? But I thought to myself, it'd be really cool to see like some extraordinary miracles, like just, just people sharing testimonies on YouTube. And it's really, it is really amazing the, the, the stuff that you see online, the amazing things that happen. Um, some of it is so focused. There's certain uh, groups in Christianity, they're so focused on the supernatural things 
and they're so flamboyant that even though they do like really cool, there's really cool miracles that happen, I look at that and I'm like, that does not match something I'd ever want to see. You know, people pushing people over and stuff like that, that kind of faith healer thing that's kind of makes me feel a little uncomfortable sometimes. Um, you see, it doesn't seem ordinary enough to me. I, want, I wanted to find some kind of video that would connect with us in a way of saying, look, I'm just a normal person, and I expect God to do ordinary miracles every day. And sometimes he does extraordinary miracles, but I'm not like shaking and pushing people over or anything like that. Now, there's anything wrong with that. Listen, I saw, I saw this, uh, this guy online, th- this story that was a news story on, fa- on YouTube. There was a, a little baby, and, you know, baby stories just get me bad because, you know, three-year-old, four-year-old, now that I have all my own kids, I'm reduced to, you know, tears every time I see anything about a child. So this, this little three-year-old kid who had a genetic problem where their legs were both paralyzed, and they show the video of the kid, like, army crawling around, you know? Little kid. And the mother was so desperate. She brought him to this, this faith healer guy that was, had a ministry. And it was a valid ministry. I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not knocking those guys. Uh, and he prayed for this kid with confidence. And, you know, they showed kind of what his ministry looked like. And then they had this, they, the next scene was this kid walking. You know? This stuff does happen. And uh, it was extraordinary. There was a testimony that was a news story. Um, it was like from some channel, and this guy had, uh, he had had a heart attack, and he died. And he was pronounced dead. They did CPR on him for 45 minutes. They called it. And then 20 minutes later, he just came back. Young, like my age, you know? Um, and, and they said, well, you know, we had people from the church that were praying and praying and praying, and then, you know, they were, when I passed away, and then God healed me. God, and there was no explanation for it. And these things happen. You know, there was a ministry in South America that read this Acts passage, and I, I'm not suggesting we do this, but uh, he said, you know what, why not? Everyone... Lift up your handkerchief. We'll, we'll just pray for these, and if anyone's sick, you can touch them to people. And, and there was a Muslim cleric that was at this service, and he just he pulled his handkerchief out. Why not? Give it a shot. And a little girl died the next day in his, um, in his church there, and he took out the Jesus handkerchief and put it on her dead body, and she came back to life. Okay? You know, these, these things happen, especially when the gospel is being spread through things and these things, and people are being saved. These are signs that point to the reality that, that Jesus' kingdom has broken into this world and that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he can do what he wants. And he is, uh, there are things that are going to be true at, when his kingdom is fully realized, when Jesus comes back and sets everything right and, and rights every wrong and, uh, and takes away all injustice, suffering, pain, and crying. There is there's a fulfillment of the kingdom, but until that time, Jesus came, died, and rose again. And even now, into this realm in which we live, he is supernaturally breaking in and changing things. And in this passage, he did extraordinary miracles, implying that there were ordinary miracles that happened all the time. People had an expecta- a different expectation than we, than we do when they went to prayer. Did God always heal and always do something when people prayed? No, because the power lies with God, not with people. 
It's God's choice whether he does or doesn't do something, and he's the one who's in charge. But if you don't ever expect, you don't ever ask, you don't ever pray, if you don't elevate your experience to say, the Bible is the truth, well, the things that happened here can happen today, and you allow your worldview to become one of unbelief, then you're going to be much less likely to see answers to your prayers because you're not going to be really praying. It says in James 4.23, and James is like my favorite book when it comes to faith and prayer. 4.23, you have not, you do not have because you do not ask God. That's pretty clear. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You know, someone who asks things of God uh, as a Christian has to have this motivation of, I want Jesus to be glorified. It's not about my selfishness. It's not about uh, just my needs. It's about Jesus. Um, James 1, 5 through 8, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You might read that passage and say, so if I just have enough faith and I don't doubt, then I can make anything happen. That's not what it's saying. It's, what it's saying is that when you, when you ask God, if you don't even have it as a f- possibility in your mind that he might answer you, you know, you have zero expectation, <laughs> then you're not going to see anything one way or the other. Uh, I think that God wants to do the things that we read about in the book of Acts today. And, uh, and I, I think that our big problem is unbelief through taking our, uh, our worldview of everything is just natural and everything can be explained uh, very carefully through science and philosophy, this Western worldview that's just too big for its britches and discounting the possibility of the spiritual realm existing and certainly not expecting that Jesus is going to break into the natural realm and do something supernatural or extraordinary. But I want us to become a people who are, expect ordinary miracles every day, who believe that God has the power and authority to do these things, and who seek him, uh, seek him for more than you're currently seeking him for. Um, in this story, they took down this entire powerful, evil enterprise of, uh, of worshiping Artemis uh, through this grassroots movement of Christianity. And it's really quite amazing. There is a, um, let me find this quote here. This is just absolutely incredible, and I wanted to share this with you. At, at this time, the, this, this Diana worship that these crowds are chanting, or, or Artemis worship, uh, they're both interchangeable, was so powerful. Everyone worshipped in this group. And when, when Jesus started to doing these miracles among people, and then even ext- extraordinary miracles, it just started bringing this thing down stone by stone. So the whole thing got overturned. Uh, and a historian from Yale, Ramsay McMullen, who is the utmost expert on the Roman Empire, He says this. One of the historical phenomena all Roman Empire specialists are compelled to deal with was the incredibly rapid spread of Christianity, culminating with the conversion of the Emperor Constantine in AD 312. Christianity from then on became the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. 
McMullen reports his research on this in a remarkable book, Christianizing the Roman Empire. According to McMullen, the chief factor accounting for the astounding spread of Christianity in the first four centuries was power ministries in the form of miracles and healings, but particularly as exhibited by dealing with the demonic. He says, quote, the manhandling of demons, humiliating them, making them howl, beg for mercy, tell their secrets. This is a, this is a scholar, so, you know. Depart in a hurry served a purpose quite essential to the Christian definition of monotheism, meaning one God. It made physically or dramatically visible the superiority of the Christian's patron power over all others. Emphasis on miraculous demonstration, head-on challenge of non-Christians to test power, head-on confrontation with supernatural beings inferior to God, and contemptuous dismissal of merely rational, especially Greek philosophical paths towards true knowledge of the divine, uh, was what really caused Christianity to not only uh, eventually overturn Artemis worship, Diana worship, but led to actually the, the Roman emperor himself becoming a Christian and then having it become a, the official religion of Rome, which is amazing when you think that, that, that Rome was having them worship the emperors and this god Artemis, going from that to this grassroots Christianity becoming the official religion of, this, of the whole people. And obviously, you know, that can go south too when power comes into play and things happen. But it's just simply astounding what, Christian, what, what happened with Christianity, all because these people were seeing ordinary miracles happen every day and challenging the powers. And it's just uh, something that I find absolutely amazing. <laughs> so in our world today, you know, I, I see these, these uh, having a worldview that allows for uh, Jesus to do supernatural things in ordinary, everyday life will be a key in us sharing the gospel with the rest of the world. And it, it, it's, it's not as crazy and, like, demonstrative as, like, a faith healer. But to me, it looks more like ordinary Christians devoting themselves to prayer and community and fasting. Ordinary Christians reading the Bible and seeing what kind of things Jesus can do and then expecting that God can still do those things today and praying those prayers, asking God and seeing what God does. And I think that when, when we do these kinds of things, when we make these kinds of adjustments in a very natural way, the world can see the authority and power of Jesus. People that don't even believe in a, in a spiritual realm or people that scoff at the idea of worshiping one God named Jesus can see that this is the real deal. And I think that that is the, the thing that's going to um, be evangelistic in reaching people for Christ. And uh, re seeing all these stories and testimonies of, of families and friends who came to know God through all the things that God did in the lives of just average, everyday believers is astounding. There was a, there was a woman who, uh, an, an older woman who heard on the news that this kid had been in a car accident with a, with a tractor trailer, and he was unconscious in a coma, in a medically induced coma in the hospital. And they said, he's never going to be able to walk again. And this, this is a news story. This woman... Uh, she said, I really felt like God told me I should go and pray for this kid. But, and so I, kept, I drove by the hospital every day for, for my normal life stuff. And I always just said, you know, I don't think that they're not going to want me in there. It's too weird. The family's going to reject me. What if it doesn't work? And she was just insecure like any of us would be. But she was so naturally, um, she was so naturally doing ordinary, had this idea of God doing ordinary miracles just through her natural self. She went into the hospital. She met with the parents. Can I pray with your son? 
She prayed for him. And after weeks of not moving or showing any activity, uh, they said, can you, can you snap your fingers? And the, the kid just moved his fingers like this. And he came out of the coma. From that day forward, he just improved, 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 improved. All because a normal, ordinary person thought God can still do these things in ordinary, everyday life and stepped out in faith and did it. And the whole family was, was amazed and, and um, you know, very enthusiastic about the Jesus thing afterwards. We'll just say that. I don't think you have to be a faith healer or someone who's crazy demonstrative or an extrovert or, or an introvert or anything that we see on television to be this kind of person. You can just be a normal person who loves God, who believes that God can do anything, and just do this stuff in your everyday life. Make yourself available to God um, and see what he does. Because I think that's how the kingdom of God comes through us. Uh, not just in those big demonstrations, but in the small expressions of community and love. And then, yes, into those realms that are more miraculous and that just can't be explained by anything else. Um, I hope you've enjoyed my tirade here. It's been pretty fun. Um, this is on my heart. Yeah. This is so on my heart uh, to expect God to do great things and not feel like it has to look a certain way. You know, because we are just normal people. We're as normal as they come. I look like a lumberjack today. You know, I'm not a pastor. I'm a lumberjack. Um, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing way that you uh, captivated the world <laughs> in Ephesus and you turned from, from one man's death and resurrection a movement that is still sweeping through the nations. And we're happy to be a part of that movement, God. And we want to be a people that see extraordinary things happen in our ordinary, everyday life, who believe you for, that you have all power and authority on heaven and earth and who, who pray and step out in faith and make opportunities for you to show your greatness to the people of this world. Um, we love you. Uh, we thank you for your love for us. Help us to grow in our faith and trust of you. And um, I pray that for this church, Lord, we would see more, uh, more prayer, more community and love and fellowship we'd see more healings, that we'd see more uh, salvation, Lord, people coming to know the Lord, that we'd see more relationships restored that are broken between people, that the power of, of Jesus and the authority that he's given us would express the kingdom in this church in a special way and in all the churches that preach Jesus in our city and, of course, in the world. But I'm thinking of Saratoga here, God, and all these churches in Grace Fellowship and Terra Nova, um, in the Baptist church, the next level church, every church that, that believes what the Bible says and tries to elevate their experience to match it rather than diminish it. Um, let those churches see great things come uh, from your kingdom and let people in Saratoga come to know Jesus for everything that he is. Uh, and let us be a part of that, Jesus, we pray. We thank you so much uh, for this fellowship and we pray that you would uh, bless us as we go today. In Jesus' name, amen.